You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Let's turn to Isaiah. We're going to, for a short while, look at Isaiah chapter 56 from verse 9 through into chapter 57 and verse 13. I think one of the most uh, difficult questions for people is when they, they say, well, you're looking at Isaiah, it's hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, what's that got to do with Christianity? And the answer is given in John twelve forty one. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So in the New Testament, in the in the Bible, what you've got is the New Testament largely speaking about Christ after he had been, and in the Old Testament speaking about Christ before he came. And that is especially true of Isaiah. Now, the passage we're going to look at this morning is actually very, very difficult. It's not difficult to understand, I don't think. It's just difficult to accept um, or difficult to take on board. And there is a, a sense in which some of us may blank out because it's a passage that's about leadership, particularly about leadership in the church. And you say, well, what's that got to do with me? Well, what it's got to do with you is this. If you're in a job, your boss or your manager is really important. You've got a bad manager, you want out of that job. If you are in a, a home, a household, and uh, the leadership is, uh, in that home is rubbish. That makes it an awful household. A school, the most important person in the school, apart from the children, is uh, the head teacher. The leadership of the head teacher is vital. Uh, I am a fan of Dundee Football Club. You can take any player you want, just don't take our manager, because he's great, and his leadership is vital. The same in a country. I don't wish to be political, but I cannot help but feel sorry for the people of the United States, given the choice that they've given, been given for their leadership. We all know the harm that bad leadership can do. You're a student here, you're a member of the Christian Union. The leadership of the CU is very, very important. And the leadership of the church is very important, because we all know what bad leadership can do. It can be very weak, or it can be very authoritarian. And there can be great, great confusion. There are uh, numerous instances. I heard of three this week alone of, of pastors or ministers who are resigning. I've met many Christians who've been badly wounded by leaders in the church like me. Uh, as a leader in the church, I hope I don't do this, but it's, I could easily do it, uh, being too authoritarian. There are some Christians who get very confused and who say, oh, if only we had a pope. Uh, I did a debate last night on whether the Pope is the head of the church. It was very interesting because my opponent rightly said, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the supreme head, but the Pope is the other head. <laughs> I went, ah, right. So I said, when I see someone with two heads, I know there's a problem. Uh, that's a very deformed church. We do accept that Jesus is the head of the church. But it's still the case, isn't it? People say, if only I had a kind of spiritual guru who would tell me what to do. 
Now, the biblical position is that Christ is the head of the church. But how does he govern it? He's the chief shepherd, but he uses under-shepherds to govern and to lead through his word. And what he's looking at here, in chapter 56, verses 1 to 8, which I won't read just now, but we, we, we looked at last week, it's just a wonderful, wonderful promise about salvation coming from God's people to the ends of the earth, something of what Adam was speaking about. And then in verse 9, there's a change. And let's uh, read, first of all, from verse 9 to verse 12. Come, all you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Come, each one cries. Let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. The beasts of the field are, 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 are called to come and, and to devour. And the leadership are accused of being blind, of being dumb, and of being greedy. It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, you point out anything in any church that's wrong, and the instant reaction that, personally, I always get, I, I, I can guarantee it, someone will immediately go, Matthew 18, did you do Matthew 18? Which is, you've got to go first and tell them, and then, uh, then you go to that, and so on. Or the other action you get straight away is, that's not very loving, that's not very nice. And yet, the problem with the church in our culture, our country today, is a problem of leadership. And God speaks to us and identifies that. And ironically, the leaders keep very quiet about it. Because look at the standard that is given. They are to be watchmen and shepherds, the two words that are used. And true leadership, and this applies to the elders in this congregation, it applies to me, it applies to church leadership or whatever, in whatever church. True leadership is about guarding from coming danger and caring for present needs. Isaiah, you find his words replicated or gone in much more detail in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, for example, warns about the leaders who don't warn. Or Ezekiel chapter 34 Verse 7 says this, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. There is an awesome responsibility in leadership. That's why leadership is so stressful. That's why it's so difficult. I remember I used to do free church camps, and uh, I loved being what they called at that time the commie. Uh, it was the commandant. You couldn't use that expression now. Uh, it didn't refer to political leanings. And I, uh, I really enjoyed those camps. But I tell you what I enjoyed even more was when I stopped being commie and just became an ordinary uh, leader, because I didn't have the responsibility, because the buck didn't stop with me. But there's an awesome responsibility that are given to leaders in the church. 
And it is to ensure that God's flock are protected and looked after and not to be focusing on ourselves. Because it is true, wherever you've got power, because of human beings, you're going to get abuse. When you've got somebody who is in power in a work situation, they can be incredibly abusive. If you've got somebody who's in power in school, they can be abusive. Someone who's in power in social work, they could be abusive. Because they've got power over other people. And when you've got someone who's in power in the church, in the sense of in leadership, it can lead to abuse. And this is what was happening here. They're called dumb dogs, sleeping dogs, greedy dogs. Not um, pleasant terms. And look how sad it is. Look at the irony. You're watchmen who are blind. You're standing on the watchtower and you can't see. You are dogs who are mute. The, the dogs that bark. I was um, at a football match recently and I went past a police van and these two Alsatians just went at me. Um, thankfully, there was a cage which they banged against, but I nearly had a heart attack. Uh, boy, the police knew I was there because the dogs barked. But imagine having a dog that doesn't bark. You say, I'm going to get a dog because I need to protect my house. And I'm going to get a dog that will give me a warning. And imagine you buy a dog and everyone who comes to the door, they just run away. They don't do anything. They don't say anything. What a useless watchdog. Well, that's how he's describing the leaders here. They are ignorant. They have a, a, there's a lack of knowledge. That's what he says. They all lack knowledge. Calvin says of this, first he reproaches them with want of knowledge. For as it is the chief excellence of a good shepherd to know his duty, that he may judge what is profitable and what is pernicious to the flock, and to watch laboriously and to stand, as it were, on a watchtower, that he may promote their safety in every respect. So nothing is more consistent with that office than ignorance and blindness. No man, therefore, will be a good shepherd unless he understands the right method of governing the people. That's why any elder in a church must be someone who's apt to teach, who knows the word. doesn't mean that they have to all be preachers, but they need to know God's word and to apply it. And he says they are lazy. They lie around. They lack discernment. They lack understanding, and they're lazy. And you'll notice there's a, there's a sequence here. To have no vision is to have no message. To have no vision and to have no message is to drift into fantasy and escapism. Look what he says. They lie around and dream. And they then become self-pleasing. They just seek their own gain. And the word that's used here for dream is a word that's only used here in the Bible. And it's a word which they reckon carries more the idea of delirium the irrational utterances of someone in a delirium. Uh, some of us have been in a delirium. We have said things that we cannot imagine ever having said because we were in a delirium. And some of you will have experienced that in relatives. It can be very disconcerting who are really ill, or you may have experienced it in, in terms of you might be a nurse or a doctor and you work in that context and in that situation. And it is very disconcerting. Well, what God is saying about the leaders of his church is they're like people who are in a delirium. They turn to their own way. 
Isn't that an extraordinary statement from earlier in Isaiah 51? Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But what we've got here is a situation where the leader or leaders of Christ's church, instead of acknowledging Jesus Christ and his word, are turning to their own way. And again, it's a thing I hear with increasing regularity and just astounds me more and more. People saying, well, that's your opinion. This is mine. I'm sorry. You are not here to listen to my opinion or to express yours. You are here to hear what God says in God's word. My um, debating colleague last night said, but how do you know what's right? You need somebody who's speaking with the authority of God. And I said, yeah, that's not the Pope though. And I shocked him because I said, I'm a Pope too. Do you know that? Um, he said, no, you can't. You're not. I said, yes, of course I am. I do exactly the same. If, I said, I teach God's word. Anything that's not God's word, then people are not obliged to listen to and certainly not obliged to obey. But we need to know, not turn to your own way. It's an old uh, Fleetwood Mac song, you can go your own way. And I like the next line, you can call it another lonely day. Because you go your own way, you're on your own. You go your own way, and even if people follow you for a while, you're on your own. We have to go the way of Christ, even though that is incredibly difficult. And then, of course, these leaders who are ignorant, who are lazy, they're also greedy. Because power without a recognition of the authority of God will always lead to abuse and to predatory behavior. And here it's predatory behavior and drunkenness. They are, he says, totally intoxicated. Now, why does he bring that in here? It's not because he's condemning drinking alcohol. What he's condemning is people who are in positions of power and who receive and then they go and get drunk because they they can afford to do so. They can drink the best. They don't care. For them, life at public expense is great. And that does happen in the church. The Lord is not against people being rich. Sometimes he makes people rich, and that's to be used for a reason. But I'm absolutely convinced that there is no warrant in Scripture for anyone making a fortune out of preaching the Bible. It seems to me that uh, those of us who are in leadership in the church, we may not take a vow of poverty, though it depends what denomination you're in, but we, we certainly are not in a position where we should be seeking to lord it over people or make money out of people or think that godliness is a means to get wealth. And yet that does happen in the church. And it's caused great harm and great difficulty in the church and to the witness of the church. They're greedy. And yes, it can be that elders like me can become lazy, can become ignorant, can turn away from the word of God, and can become greedy, thinking it's all about us, and it's not. He's not done, though. Go on to chapter 57, verse 1. The righteous perish and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. 
But you, come here, you sons of a sorceress, you offsprings of adulterers and prostitutes. Subtle, Isaiah, isn't he? (laughs) Whom are you mocking? At whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. The idols among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion. They, they are your lot. Yes, to them you have poured out drink offerings and offered grain offerings. In the light of these things, should I relent? You've made your bed on a high and lofty hill. There you went up to offer your sacrifices. Behind your doors and your doorposts, you've put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you loved and you looked on their nakedness. You went to Moloch with olive oil and increased your perfumes. You sent your ambassadors far away. You descended to the grave itself. You were wearied by all your ways, but you would not say it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. The watchmen and the shepherds have relaxed, and so the evil has come in. It's possible that this was during the time of Manasseh, Hezekiah's apostate son, who burnt his own son, and who revived the worship of Moloch, which is mentioned here. But I want to take just a couple of lessons from this. First of all, the righteous are taken away. This is a society that's hostile to true believers. It's not a society that's irreligious. It's a society that's religious, but uses religion to persecute. What Adam talks about is very real for many people, very very real. And here, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says two things. First of all, nobody takes it to heart. Nobody cares. Well, we should. We should frequently think about Christians in other parts of the world who are persecuted, genuinely persecuted, far more persecuted than we have been or currently are. And we should uphold them before the throne of grace because they are our brothers and sisters. But these devout men of mercy, it says, the kind people are taken away. And what Isaiah says is quite stunning and quite counterintuitive for us. He says, the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. In other words... Sometimes it's a good thing that people die. Now, we find that really hard to accept. I think because we don't grasp eternity and because we don't grasp the enormity of evil. Second Kings 22, 20. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of saying, I'm so glad that my father or mother were not around to see this because of stuff, things that have happened. Calvin, I didn't know this until this week, uh, but he was, when he talked about Luther being taken away uh, shortly before the disaster he warned was about to happen to Germany. Luther had warned that and it did happen. And Calvin said it was a mercy that Luther was taken away so that he did not see what his own mouth had foretold. When a Christian dies, it is an immensely sorrowful thing because death is horrible. Death is the last enemy. 
and uh, it's particularly sorrowful for those of us who are left who are going to miss them. But it is not sorrowful for them. For them, it's done. For them, it's finished. For them, there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more broken relationships, no more disrupted fellowship. For them, death is the doorway to eternal hope, eternal glory, eternal peace, eternal rest. The righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. So we mourn, of course we mourn, when people die or people are killed. But we view it in the wider context and remember also the mercy of the Lord. Because those who are left, they're facing mockery and sneering Verse 4, sticking out your tongue, poking fun, scorn, and then crass crudity. I think we see so much of that in our public and social media today. The lust in verse 5 refers to the spiritual idolatry, the sexual fertility rites of the Canaanite religion that was being adopted by Israel. The Canaanite religion which relied on the evergreen tree to symbolize prosperity and uh, the whole slaughtering babies in order to get blessing treating them like cattle, like appendages to be got rid of. A spirit of prostitution, Hosea 5.4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. In verse 6, he says, they're worshiping smooth, slippery, and still dead stones. And I'm afraid the church in this land is very much like that. Because what we're doing in the name of Christianity and in the name of Christ, in the name of God, is we are compromising the gospel and the faith which came to deliver us from dead religion by cooperating with dead religion. Religion causes so much harm and difficulty in the world, and Jesus came to save us from that, and then you get Christians in the name of Jesus going along and saying, well, we're going to do this, and 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 it's directly contrary to what Christ says. And notice how daft it is. They're swapping the living rock for dead stones. The smooth stones of the ravines, it's an idiom for idolatrous uh, worship. The dead stones. I'll tell you this, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be religious. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be gathering for worship. I read and see the harm that religion does, and I'm not interested. I'm looking at who's going to deliver us from the man-made worship. It's funny, even the, the kind of Christian church has bought in, or even the evangelicals are bought into this, that they think our big enemies are the atheists and the secularists. No, they're not. Not really. Our biggest enemy is false worship within the church. And also, out with it. Everyone worships something. We are to worship the living God. He says in verse 8, you've made another covenant. You've broken your covenant with me. You've given up the dignity of your faith in God. And you've been reduced to currying worldly favors. And then, extraordinary, he says, you keep going. You get tired with all this religious stuff. You get tired with all this seeking money and things for yourself. And yet, you still get the energy to carry on doing it. You won't come to me and have rest. 
Verse 11, whom have you so dreaded and feared that you've been false to me and have neither remembered me nor pondered this in your hearts? Is it not because I've long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. He said, you are scared of false gods when you should have feared the awesome God. How many people read their horoscope and go, how many people are enthralled to idols who are no gods at all? How many people, even if, if you're an unbeliever, you do realize how irrational that is. John L. Mackay says, worship of false gods is addictive, expensive, and ruinous. It tires you out, it leaves you helpless, it leaves you hopeless. But there are many people who arrogantly think that God's patience means that we can get away with it. Why is God quiet? Why is God doing nothing? There are people who are professing Christians who will come and hear God's word in church and then they'll go home. And they'll behave in a way at home or they'll behave in a way online or they'll behave in a way at work which is directly contrary to what Christ says. And they think, first time they did it, they felt terrible. Second time they felt terrible, but not so terrible. The hundredth time they've done it, they thought, God doesn't care, I can get away with it. I've done this a lot. And God says, listen, don't mistake my patience for not caring and not knowing. People can drift very far from the Lord and still assume that we are right with him. But there's a day coming when he says, I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. I've been a minister for 30 years. And I have sat with men who were elders who at various points in their life have turned away from the Lord or have lived a hypocritical, double standard life double standard life. I, I've, I've sat with fellow ministers and I look at this and I look in the mirror and say, yeah, I don't think that you are any better. It's so easy to drift away from God. But one of the ways that prevents us happening is that there is a day of judgment coming. Um, it's a bit... It's a bit like you're a, a teenager at home and your parents go away for a holiday and it's the first time they've trusted you. 16 years old, you're in the house on their own. If you think they're not coming back, you're not too bothered about the state of the house. But you wake up on the Friday morning and you realize my mum and dad are coming home tonight. There's a day of judgment coming. I better get that burnout. I better clean this. I better do this. Because you know it's, it, it, it restricts and restrains your behavior. Well, I know that we obey the Lord because we love him and so on. But there's also a healthy and godly fear which says, I know that Jesus is coming. And to be honest, I don't want to be in a position where Jesus says, all that righteousness, all those good works, all that religious talk, all that preaching, all these fine words, they're rubbish. He blows them away. And we escape, says Paul, as though it were by fire. We are helpless when God gives us the consequences of our own choices. 
In our culture, people say, if only I can go my own way, everything would be great. That's what you've got to do. Go your own way. I did it my way and all the rest of it. The worst possible thing that could happen to you as a Christian or as a non-Christian is when God says, okay, you go your way. Because then you will find out just the extent and the depth of evil both in your own heart and the hearts of others. So there's a real problem of poor leadership, superstition flourishing, false religion, the fear of the Lord being lost, and unhealthy fears taking over. Bad leadership, meaning that the old evils come flooding back. And I'm afraid we are never going to be rid of that until glory. But here is the good news after all of that. And it's God's plan is never thwarted by bad leadership. Never. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, said Jesus, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you'll not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yes, there is a judgment that comes when we reject and turn away from God. And I fear for this nation. I fear for Scotland that turning away from God will leave us helpless and hopeless. But I look at the end of this. The man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. There is a faith that brings real security, permanent tenure if you like. You will inherit the land. You will get access to the Lord's care, presence, and blessing. And what we're being offered is a very simple contrast. We can either have confidence in God as the one who is the remedy to be employed against all evils, or we can go the route of unbelief from which all evils actually come. It's as though God's saying to us, where do you think you're going to remain safe? Where's your safe space going to be? Where are you going to be able to keep your inheritance? If not in me. Who brought you here? Who gave you what you've got? What do you have that you did not receive? And yet you run away, you run away from me, and you run away after other things. You seek assistance from human beings, which will be of no real help. And you disregard my help. And so the cry here to the leaders, as well as to all of us, is just simply this. Who are we following? I said to my opponent last night, I'm not going to follow any pope. And I'm not going to follow any bishop. And I'm not going to follow any minister or any priest or any pastor or any spiritual guru. Because I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And what Jesus Christ tells me about his church and what's involved in the church and the leadership in the church and all of that, yes, absolutely. I don't follow him on my own. I follow him as part of a body, a collective body. But it is not the tradition of the church and it is not the culture of the society and it's not the power of the personalities in charge that make the difference. What makes the difference is just simply believing and trusting the Lord. Now, you could be here as a new student starting your first year, and it's all new, and it's all exciting. You've still got to make up your mind, who am I following? Or you could be here nearing the end of your days, and you've still got to answer the question, who 
are you following? Where are you going? Please don't go your own way. Please pray for those in leadership in this congregation that we will not give in to the numerous temptations that come our way to abuse or fall away from the task that God has given us. And please grant that, pray that the Lord would grant godly leadership in both church and society throughout our nation and indeed the nations of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's Sometimes we come to it, it's a word that's full of just great comfort. And sometimes it's a word that is hard. And it's hard for us to hear that our leaders, we ourselves, could be greedy or lazy or ignorant. It's hard when we live in a society where there is so much exploitation. Where maybe we go to work tomorrow and we are in subtle and not so subtle ways being used and abused. Or even in homes where uh, fathers misuse their authority or mothers misuse their authority. And Lord, it's hard in a church where each of the leaders looks to their own and not to the interests of Christ. Grant us that, grant us repentance and grant us, O Lord, that we would look to you first of all, that we are able to submit to our leaders because they are under shepherds of the great shepherd. Give us an awareness, O Lord, of our failings, but also of your power, willingness, and capacity to forgive and renew. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.